the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this first hour, we're going to talk about the Democratic debate. Plus, for the rest of the hour, we have Randy Schuf, pastor and motorcyclist. This is The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. Happy Thursday. I'm going to say it before Brian can. My favorite day of the week. It is your day. Because it is date night. There you go. <laughs> you were going to you say You have a little it. extra extra str- spring in your step. Like you might be actually going out on a date tonight. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's my birthday tomorrow, so we're going to... Time oh, out. shoot. Time <laughs> out. Really? Tomorrow? I shouldn't have said anything. That I won't a, do what I did to you last year. Remember last year on your birthday, we had many people call in? Oh, yeah. My dad sang uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> that was good. Do you remember that? I vividly remember that. My buddy Jim Hollando was in the studio. <laughs> yeah. had, he brought donuts. Yeah, we had lots of That might be the most calls we've ever gotten in a show was for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was before John started sending them away. Yeah. Was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, How old are you tomorrow? I don't remember anymore. 37. I think. I think that's wow. 37. For someone who forgets Alexa every day. <laughs> it's all. Some stuff gets through. Some stuff doesn't. <laughs> I'm glad that my birthday made the cut. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. That's... I, I just to, this will probably get you like to, to do it more to me. Just after yesterday, I'm still battling this nasty chest cold that uh-huh. if, if I laugh, I cough. And mm-hmm. so I'm a little still worried about how this Which is, is going to go today. Which is you should not have told me because now it makes my only target and goal to make Humor. you laugh. Well, it'll make for a funny show. <laughs> Will it? Can you imagine just the terror? Or someone like turning on the show at the time that you're like mid hack, yeah. Just like, is this a metal band? No, this is Brian no, Fromm. Like, oh, the show lung. sounds better today. <laughs> <laughs> Something just, I like more just about play this a today. drop beat underneath it. Like, oh, those guys, I like that band. <laughs> Brian screaming. Anyway, should I tell him about all the information? All, all right. All, so for the last ooh. time of your 30s, never mind. We're not going to keep doing of my 36th. Yeah, 36th year. Well, no, the 37th year. Right. Right. It's kind of weird how that works out, right? Like when you turn 37, you're entering your 38th year. That is how it works, right? That depends if you're above or below the equator, I think. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that has something with the lunar (laughs) cosmologic. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Plus, we are podcasted. Yes, we are. I got really uh, a lot less aggressive talking about the podcast. Like, subscribe, review. No. Subscribe, rate, Subscribe, review. rate, review. All of that does help do us it, out somehow. Do it for Ian's birthday. Oh, wow. Like, what better birthday gift could somebody give you than, a, than an old five-star review well, on I an can, old I podcast? I think of ten. Ten things <laughs> <laughs> off the top of my head. Anyway, we got, we got to get to this. So, yes. the Democratic debate last night. Uh, you watched highlights this morning on the Today Show. Correct. I was watching it yesterday, and my wife was doing something on the other side of the room. <laughs> and about a half hour into it, she was like, "What is happening Crazy. over there?" Which is actually is a pretty good summary of the debate overall. Um, <laughs> so John put together some highlights from the uh, from the day, and so we're going to listen to those, and then we'll respond with whatever time we have left. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. 
Republicans. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. (laughs) Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. This country has worked for the rich for a long time and left everyone else in the dirt. It is time to have a president who will be on the side of working families and be willing to get out there and fight for them. That is why I am in this race, and that is how I will beat Donald Trump. What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, House 1. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House 2. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax which tax haven New do you York, have your home? New York City, thank you very much. Yeah, right, and I pay all home. my taxes. Just me. It is your policy. Thank you. It is my policy, and I'm very proud of that policy. All right. What we need to do to deal with this grotesque level of income and wealth inequality is make sure that those people who are working, you know what, Mr. Bloomberg, wasn't you who made all that money. Maybe your workers played some role in that as well. And it is important that those workers are able to share the benefits. Also, when we have so many people who go to work every day and they feel not good about their jobs. They feel like cogs in a machine. I want workers to be able to sit on corporate boards as well so they can have some say over what happens to their lives. Okay, so they uh, they pretty they pretty much took it to Bloomberg. Yes, they did. Which uh, was, everyone saw that coming. Someone expected. He, I was surprised at how unprepared he seemed, though. Like, questions he had to have known were coming. Yep. He just seemed <laughs> absolutely baffled by Like that one where he said... Uh, when he was talking about the non-disclosure agreements, like there are a lot of ways to get at that. And he's like, no, they only got and most got mad at jokes I made. I was like, hmm, oh, yeah, it's probably the wrong way to answer well, that question. He got into like percentages and he and yeah. that was that seemed like a, I was also a little surprised. I didn't realize that like Buttigieg and Klobuchar had that much uh, animosity. Sure felt other. like it last night. Didn't right? it? That they got personal fast. It. Do you know who I think won the whole thing? Uh, Donald J. Trump. I think so, too. <laughs> I think so, too. Nah, I, thought, I thought Sanders uh, looked pretty good, given the uh, the rest of the rhetoric for the evening, I so guess. So his whole goal had to have been to just stay, like, to get... He's the clear leader right now. Yeah. So right. he just needs to get out of that. Right. Like, and he felt like he did. Yeah. Right? Like, everyone else had to come after him, after Bloomberg, too. Um, but I felt like Sanders... I don't... I think he probably walked out of that feeling pretty good about himself. Yeah. I mean, what do you, if you're one of the people that were on that platform, how are you walking out of that evening? Like, I don't even, again, we're not political pundits at all, so we're talking a little bit above our pay grade anyway, but I just find it so interesting, especially given like my wife's reaction across the room, like, what is happening over there? I felt like, okay, kid gloves are off. Yeah, Bloomberg, who's put a lot of money in these advertisements, now is having to. The thing that's interesting about him too is because he probably hasn't had anyone tell him no in four decades, right? So you could almost see it on his face, like, wait a minute, you you can't talk to me like that. They kind of took the task, and he hasn't debated in. They said 15 years or something, and right. these people have been doing it. I think if I was on that stage, I would probably would have felt best if I was Elizabeth Warren, just because she came out swinging and you yeah. came out, you know, what, what soundbite did we play to start? What soundbite did the Today Show play to start? What, yeah. You know, 
Uh, you probably feel good if you're Sanders. I think uh, some of them are. I I think they went into that debate knowing, uh, at least for some of them, like this is our last shot to really be at all have a chance. Right. And so they came out swinging. And uh, I'm just fascinated by. Um, and here, I'll preface this by saying at this time in 2016, I was saying that I can't believe the Republicans are going to nominate Donald Trump and then because he, he can't win and then he won. Right. I'm just fascinated that Democrats are likely to nominate a socialist. Like, I, I can't imagine this going well. A Democratic socialist, sure. just to be fair. Sure. That's but a big I, difference. Yeah, I know. But I just can't imagine it going well, but maybe it will. Maybe it will. The same way I, I looked at Trump and I was like, there is no way that's ever going to work. And he got elected. So maybe I just am bad at reading these kinds of things. <laughs> well, you know, again, you're not a political analyst. Nope, like I nope. don't, I don't, how much time do you spend really thinking about these things? I get it. I'm interested in them, but yeah. not you know. I'm not across the hall at 560. That's for sure. <laughs> how much time do you think would be healthy if you were putting on your pastor cap? Like you know, everyone's tweeting about this last night. What's like yeah. a healthy level of engagement for just your average person in the United States right now? Yeah, enough to know what's going on, but not enough to obsess over it. I would yeah, think. Yeah, right. Obsession maybe is yeah. the, that's the fear for a lot of us. It's yes. like oh, it's like don't look directly into the sun. I'm going to get sucked in somehow. Yeah, and, and it's I, all know. become sport, right? Like my guy won, my person lost. Did they knock him out? Theater. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good point. Theater mixed with sport is the way our politics feel right now. All right. Well, we're going to take a hard right turn. Speaking of pivoting, uh, this is the next hour is going to be filled with a buddy of mine. His name is Randy Schuf. He pastors Warehouse Church in Aurora, but he's also the founder of Motorcycle Sunday. You guys are going to love this guy. He's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is you find your fine podcast. If you are a podcaster, a little subscribe rate review does somehow, I'm told, magically help us out. You can review on the Facebook page, too, if you want. All of those things. We're still a new show, so that helps us out. But uh, I am absolutely thrilled, elated even, if I may, (laughs) to have in the studio Pastor Warehouse Church, the one, the only. Put your hands together, my friends. For Pastor Randy Schuf, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, it's awesome to be here. <laughs> oh, I even is. had the sound effect there ready to go. That was, I mean, not a sound effect. There's that many people here in the room. Yes, yeah, our studio audience. Right. Right. That crazy there. Well, just cards on the table, Randy. I've admired you from a distance for a long, long time. You're in Aurora. We have a campus in Aurora. I love sure. your heart for the city. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience? Sure, I'll give you the the, the brief version here. Uh, my name's Randy. I'm married to Irene. That's been 28, going on 29 uh, years of, right uh, of awesomeness there. <laughs> um, father to Nathan. He's 27 years old, lives down in Nashville. And then my daughter, Kara, uh, she's just turning 21, and she is into all things coffee. And she's <laughs> a coffee roaster, barista, wow. all of that stuff. So I get, I get educated with all that. But I love to ride motorcycles, uh, love to uh, play drums, and mm-hmm. worship God with friends. So. Yeah. That's the short version. I love it. I'm curious. Uh, if, was it just yesterday you and I were joking, Ian, about the fact that I don't like motorcycles? Like, I could never drive one? Uh, we were talking about that. That's right. <laughs> so, and I, I smiled knowing Randy was coming on the show. Right. So, uh, I'm curious, uh, Randy, what is it about motorcycles? Because clearly, if you're in bio, you love to ride motorcycles. So, why, where does that love come from? What do you love about it? 
Well, uh, I guess it would be the sense of uh, freedom and, and motion, just being on the road and, and uh, you know, kind of feeling one with the, the journey. Uh, with that, I started riding, uh, like, like most people that end up riding motorcycles, as a, as a kid, had a, a little mini bike with a four-horse Briggs and Stratton on it, then graduated <laughs> to a dirt bike, had a bunch of Yamahas and Suzukis, then uh, into my 20s. Uh, uh, got some road bikes and ended up with a cruiser and uh, been riding motorcycles ever since. But I think it's just a sense of freedom and uh, getting your, you know, wind in your hair. For me, it's what little I've got left. <laughs> uh, but it's just a blast. And there's a camaraderie that goes yeah. with, uh, with others who ride bikes and kind of get that. Yeah. So you actually have a motorcycle event that's uh, in May. Is that right? Yeah, we sure do. That's coming up. It'll be our 20th year. Wow. And I don't know how that went by so fast, but it's called <laughs> Motorcycle Sunday. Years ago, we just wanted to have a event that we could connect with motorcyclists. And there are a number of folks in at Warehouse that ride, but certainly not everybody, maybe hmm. not even the majority. Yeah. Uh, but we said, okay, let's do this. So we asked one of our guys who was a kind of an X one percenter, uh, Hells Angels level wow. guy and uh, Dave. He's with the Lord now, but his his road name was Undertaker because he was wow. a club enforcer, which meant that if uh, one of the clubs had an inf- infraction, uh, you know that was against them, he was the guy who took care of it. And, no kidding, uh, some pretty amazing stuff. But uh, I said, okay, Dave, when should we do this event, Motorcycle Sunday? And he said, well, let's let's do it at the beginning of the riding season because the bike blessing is an important part of that. Yeah. And in the motorcycling culture. The bike blessing could be like a Catholic priest with a scepter of holy water, just kind of no you kidding. know, kind of sprinkle it on people as they leave on their uh, ride as part of the event. But we take it as an opportunity to pray for people. Uh, in person and hopefully by name if possible. Wow. And we've been doing this uh, going on 20 years That's now. Great. So we've learned a few things here. Uh, we, we try to make it a non-churchy event. We yeah. do it in the Aurora's biggest public park. We get a big festival stage, rock and blues bands all day, awesome food trucks, a lot of good barbecue and, and other meats out there. <laughs> and it's just a, a great time. But the centerpiece of the event is the bike blessing that happens at 1130. And, you know, we, we have many Hundreds. Uh, uh, so if it's a nice sunny day, we'll have over a thousand bikes there. Unbelievable. A couple thousand guests total. Unbelievable. And we pray. You know, it takes me seven, eight minutes to lead that prayer wow. over the large, you know, PA that's part of the uh, festival stage there. And it's for many of our guests that, and they come from all over the Midwest, uh, every neighboring state, wow. every year and farther. We have have had people drive up, ride up from Florida, wow. from Tennessee, uh, all, all over the place because it's a pretty unique event uh, and it's weird. They a lot of folks can't figure it out yep. because <laughs> they they know that it's it's awesome and they feel something different when they're mm-hmm. there. But like a lot of our vendors, we have folks who sell motorcycle jackets and all kinds of uh, yeah. you know, other paraphernalia that has to do with motorcycling and. Right. We have free boots for uh, veterans uh, and other stuff, but a lot of these vendors, uh, you know, do dozens of these events throughout the summer, and uh, it's not uncommon to hear them say, "Wow, we, you know, we're at all of these events all the time," but there's just something special about this. And I think what they're trying to give voice to is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the real love of God that's there in a way that they're not getting judged, but they're lovingly challenged and invited to trust Christ. So I'll lead them through the seven or eight minute prayer, you know, uh, and it's very intentional what I pray. I've kind of learned this over the years, but uh, I'll start by praying a prayers of, uh, 
of taking that seed of faith that might be in them, mm. saying, Lord, thank you for the gift of life. None of us would be here except yeah. mm. uh, by your goodness and grace. Uh, thank you for, for helping us to get to this point, Lord. And then, then we'll pray for God's protection on the writing system yeah. season, which is what they're kind of expecting. So we'll right. pray for God's protection. But then we'll pray for God's provision. Maybe some of them need jobs. Some need the provision of God's healing wow. uh, over them or their spouse or something. Need healing in relationships, maybe with their kids or their significant other, all of that. And then last of all, we pray for God's presence to go with them, that it just wouldn't be a one-day thing, mm. but it would be 365. And we give them a really cool New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs called Hope for the Highway that's oh, especially wow. uh, put out and produced to be able to you know have biker testimonies and all of that. So it's wow. just a really cool, fun event that's coming up. It's at Phillips Park, which is on the southeast side of Aurora. Uh, you can find out more about this. Uh, you can go to Motorcycle Sunday. Com. You own MotorcycleSunday.com? Yeah, we do. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. And it's always the first Sunday in May, right? First Sunday in May. Starts about 9.30 in the morning and goes till about 4 in the afternoon. So I was telling Brian this. I don't know how to ride. I've always wanted to, yeah, though. Yeah, you have. But... Uh, I'm getting closer. I just have to convince my wife. I'm wondering, though, for people that don't ride, is it still an event they can participate in? Oh, absolutely. Can, okay. Very family-friendly. We've got a whole kids' area where there's a bounce house, uh, face painting, balloons, all of that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, everybody, come on and have a fun time. You, if you like vehicles at all, you'll love this. They're just The motorcycles are awesome. You can uh, sign in at the registration booth, and you can get a little ballot, and you can vote in the People's Choice Bike Contest. Right so we on. do a contest where we give first, second, third place uh, cash awards and trophies for the coolest bikes that are out there. That's oh awesome. Gosh, I remember I sometime I should tell you the story. When we were in college, we went to Daytona for a spring break, oh, man. not knowing that it was bike week. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And we pulled in, and we're like, what did we just get into? Uh, We've had some people at our church who are part of CMA, the oh, Christian yeah. Motorcycle Association. They're doing unbelievable work. I Absolutely. didn't know about this whole subculture that's sure. out there where they're really reaching people with the gospel. Yeah, we have a number of CMA chapters represented at Warehouse Church. In our event, uh, Motorcycle Sunday, uh, we have a lot of CMA participation <laughs> along with many other groups. If you counted the number of local churches represented in our volunteers, uh, it would be probably 80 or 90 churches. So very no much a John kidding. 17 unity kind of vibe. Okay, that is the perfect segue, because coming up next, I want to ask you about Warehouse Church, but I, I want to also to ask you about some of this sure. passion for unity, this John 17 unity you mentioned. So we're going to go there next with Pastor Randy Schuf right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, but also... A third mystery guest. Well, it's not really a mystery. <laughs> now, if you missed uh, the first segment here with Randy, I cannot encourage you enough to go back to the yes. podcast. Uh, your love for motorcycles and ministry and ecumenism is the word that we would use, which we'll get there. But you're also the pastor sure. of Warehouse Church. Where can people go to learn more about that church? Yeah, most everybody's on the Internet. You can just uh, <laughs> search warehousechurch.org. Perfect. Or look us up on Facebook. Pretty easy to find. Warehouse Church Aurora, Illinois. I can't imagine there's a lot of competing warehouse churches. Well, actually, we found out that, that there, there there are some. Yeah, oh, really? it's okay. mainly some larger churches that have a have a new campus that meets in a warehouse. Kind of, uh, yeah, kind of I building. get you. All right. So yeah. you you mentioned a little earlier your uh, your love for like John seventeen type unity. And before we get there, though, sure. what I think would be helpful is to just hear a bit of your story. Like what? Yeah. What is your conversion story? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll take you way back and hopefully uh, tell the shorter version of that. Was born. Uh, uh, 
and raised in the Aurora area here, and I ended up making some pretty stupid decisions when I was about 13 years old, and most of them had to do with uh, smoking, smoking weed, doing hard chemicals as a 13-year-old, a lot wow. of bad things that now I'm, I'm very, very ashamed of, and I wouldn't want anybody to, to have to go through a lot of that, but uh, ended up hanging out with a group of guys that not only did a lot of dope and chemicals, but sold a lot as well. Again, mm. we're talking the the early 70s and all of that, so it was pretty right. prevalent in the culture. And uh, So by the time I got to uh, 16 years old, I ended up, I, even though I was ahead in credits at West Aurora High School, I, I quit because I figured, what, what do I need this for? Yeah, had, kidding. Had some drugs in my pocket, a few hundred dollars, uh, you know, and uh what, you know, that's all I, right. I what else do you need. Right, right. So uh, stupid teenage stuff. So I ended up uh, quitting high school my junior year. And I had a period of about two or three months where the dozen or so guys that I hung out with and we partied and sold dope together. Uh, a lot of bad stuff started to happen. One of them died uh, from a drug overdose. Wow. Another two of them had pretty serious prison time that was, you know, drug dealing related. Wow. Uh, others with some pretty serious firearms charges and stuff like that. And for me, uh, when my life started falling apart, I uh, had a couple of really serious PCP overdoses. Wow. And it's a uh, pretty Man. serious horse tranquilizer. And again, it's stupid, stupid stuff. But that's what I was doing back then and ended up uh, at this crisis time where I finally got to my lowest point and knew that I needed some help. Mm. And I grew up going to a church. It was it happened to be a liturgical church. Probably nothing wrong with that. But for me, it was just very dry, very dead, very boring. Mm. I was confirmed there, was an acolyte there, but I mm. didn't know Jesus at all. But what had happened was about uh, a year and a half before my crisis time there, uh, one of the guys we hung out with, his name was Brad. Uh, we were riding around in a car on the west side of Aurora, uh, just getting high, typical night. Uh, but Brad stopped breathing. We were doing a bunch Whoa. of these phenobarbitals, these downers, and Brad stopped breathing. We're like, oh, crap, he's going to die. Right. You know, and we, he, he really was. So wow. we went to, uh, as fast as we could, the driver drove to Mercy Hospital. We rang the doorbell at the emergency uh, entrance and got Brad out of the car and, and took off as fast as we could, which, is looking back, was a terrible thing. I'm mm. super ashamed of that. But uh, mm. we were convinced that he was dying, and we didn't want to have to be uh, you know, connected with that. Right. And everything that would follow. So uh, thankfully, the next day we heard through the grapevine, Brad didn't die. He lived. And we're like, cool. All right. Awesome. (laughs) So uh, then we learned that about a month after that, Brad was out in Phoenix, Arizona, and and he was at this this place called Teen Challenge and he was a Jesus freak. Wow. <laughs> like, wow, what's up with that? So, you know, he's like, okay. So then it was about a year after that, I saw Brad at the local McDonald's. And I was, Brad, hey man, let's go, let's go get high. And he's right. like, oh, thanks. No, I'm doing, doing good. I'm not doing any of that. I was like, what are you, some Jesus yeah, freak, right. you know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm living for the Lord. It's great. So he never sat me down and went through the four spiritual laws or anything, but I huh. knew that his life was radically transformed by Jesus. You can and sense it on him. Absolutely. It was like, wow. So fast forward again, the uh, uh, year or so till when I had my crisis time, he was the only guy that I had reference to or was aware of that had his life together and had wow. real, what I know now is the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So he, at that time, I needed uh, to find out more info about this this place. Where was Teen? What? Oh, yeah, Teen <laughs> Challenge. But Brad and his family were on vacation. It was in the summer, late June of 1977. 
And uh, so I had no way to get a hold of him long before cell phones or pagers or anything. So I got open the Chicago phone book and just randomly looked up Teen Challenge. And I found that. I called them. They said, well, if you can get here, uh, you know, and, and we can put you on the list if you about three months or so. Wow. And so then I, they gave me phone numbers for Rearsburg, Pennsylvania, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and a few others. I called all them. And it was pretty much the same story, three, four-month waiting period. Hmm. But then... Uh, I called Denver, Colorado Teen Challenge, and they said, well, I'll tell you what, we just had a cancellation. If you can get here tonight, we'll hold a spot for no, you. Wow, so it was pretty awesome. So I was like, okay, cool. So this was on a Sunday, and I had nothing but really you know, disobeyed, dishonored uh, my mom and dad for a number of years, and they were really cool. My dad was a pretty firm disciplinarian. My, mm. my mom always had a real soft heart, and... Uh, so I had to humble myself and mm. say, Mom and Dad, here's the situation. And they knew Brad and his family. Brad's dad and my dad were air traffic controllers together. They knew each other. So uh, they were familiar a little bit with that. So I said, hey, can you can you help get me out to Denver? So my mm. dad uh, knew a guy with the travel agency. They got me the ticket on a Sunday afternoon, wow. which was kind of unheard of. So God, looking back, I could see God put a lot of things in place here. Yeah. So, Anyway, spent the best year of my life at uh, in Colorado. Got to commit my life to the Lord. Wow. I got to learn to start to be discipled, to grow in Christ. All out in Colorado, yeah. both in Denver and then halfway between Denver and Colorado Springs, in the little town which is nothing more than a general store of Buffalo <laughs> Creek, in the middle of the Pike National Forest. A, a great place to start to get to know Jesus. Yeah, that's remarkable. So uh, after a year there, I was really praying: Do I stay in Colorado? Maybe move to Southern California. That sounded cool. And the Holy <laughs> Spirit really impressed on me. No audible voice or anything, but hey, go home and love your mom and dad. Wow. You know, so I did. I hitchhiked back from Colorado. No I actually way. saw an old girlfriend down outside of St. Louis. Surprised her, and uh, <laughs> then hitchhiked back from St. Louis to uh, Aurora, and that was that was great. And then started uh, going to a Bible believing church there, and started just getting to know Jesus better. And I never wanted to be a pastor, but I wanted to learn God's word more. So hmm. I ended up, you know, asking a lot of questions. Found out about Central Bible College and yeah. Teen Challenges connected with a lot of Assembly of God folks. So Central Bible College at Springfield, Missouri is an Assembly of God school. So I ended up going to our local community college, Wabansi in Aurora for mm-hmm. a year, then three years at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Got my degree in 1982 in biblical studies. Had other friends at graduation going off to be pastors, missionaries, youth leaders, but I didn't really sense God directing me like that. So I moved mm. back to Aurora, drove a truck, and played in a rock band. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So what else do you do? Yeah. So when in Rome, right? Yeah. So the uh, guitar player uh, in the band and I, we were the guys who, you know, we're buying all the gear. So we ended up buying right. a lot of sound system stuff and lighting gear. And one time we had a free weekend where our band wasn't playing, but some other friends were. And they said, hey, we're playing at the local rock bar. Could we rent you guys and your equipment? Hmm. We're like, cool. Why not? So we did that for a couple weekends in a row. Found out that I could make more money doing that than <laughs> driving the truck. Quit the truck driving job and started a production company oh, for wow. about three and a half, four years in the mid-1980s, uh, doing mostly sound and lighting rentals for the entertainment industry. Wow. And ended up talking to a lot of people about Jesus in some unlikely places. My goodness. And that, well, so this is a perfect tease then. Because Again. Uh, <laughs> the story does not end there. Uh, I know a little bit of it, but this is a lot of new information for me. So you're not going to miss the rest of Randy's <laughs> Story. Randy Shoup, pastor of Warehouse Church in Aurora. He'll be joining us for one more segment here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, or 1160hope.com. But we are so thrilled to have mm-hmm. in the studio Pastor Randy Schuf. Do people call you Pastor Randy, by the way? Well, kind of our church culture around Warehouse, we don't use those titles because... Reverend, we, then. We're, we're not out. Yeah. <laughs> I've been called worse. But... But it's usually we we don't we aren't just trying to be cool or hip. We're trying to be biblical. What do they do actually do in the Bible? Was it Pastor That's Peter true. or Evangelist John? No, it was Peter, John, Frank, Ralph in the Bible. That's what they did. I so. remember the Gospel of Ralph. Yeah, yeah he's a, a good dude. The Gospel the of Evangelist. Ralph. So he's the pastor of uh, Warehouse Church in Aurora. Also the founder of Motorcycle Sunday. You can learn more at MotorcycleSunday.com. Cannot, I love your church and your mission. We're going to get there. Cool. But where you left off your story, you were quitting this truck driving business sure and you were getting into production yeah pick up the story and give us uh give us a run through yeah so in the mid 1980s uh, my partner and i was his name's Ra- also randy so Perfect. we were always known as the two randys <laughs> we started a production company doing mostly sound and lighting system rentals also would hire out uh, pyro and lasers and all that cool stuff you wow. had a lot of in the in the 80s but we would be working a lot now we we worked a lot in the you know christian music industry, but right. also a lot of just in the mainstream. So it would not hmm. be unusual for us to be loading the equipment truck at four in the morning at some bar or arena loading dock and have an awesome conversation with somebody's, you know, some band's guitar player, or the, right. the local venue electrician or something about hmm. Jesus. Because often we're, we're the few people who weren't like totally loaded, you know, right. Was, right. not because we don't drink, but just because, hey, we want, we wanted to do a good job of what we were right. doing. So, right. you know, Holy Spirit always set that up. So we'd have these great conversations about who Jesus is, and we really knew that God wanted to do more with that. So we prayed for a while, and it made sense to start a Bible study, mm-hmm. which uh, we intentionally put on a Tuesday night. So every Tuesday night, uh, we had folks really from all over Chicagoland, a lot of these folks that we had conversation with, and they would invite their friends to come out to Aurora to this Bible study mm-hmm. that met originally in our office, but that only lasted two or three uh, Tuesday nights in our office, we quickly outgrew that, and then we're in the loading dock and warehouse space of our business. So folks would say, hey, come out to Roar for this warehouse Bible study. So that's kind of how we got the name. That's amazing. It kind of stuck, and it was cool. We And the kind of the format there was, we just all hung out, so it was highly relational. We had fun, mm-hmm. which you know, a lot of these folks didn't know you could actually love Jesus and have fun. <laughs> so we you know, joked around a lot, and, and that, but then we'd uh, get everybody in a circle, and then we had to kind of be a big old after a while, but just went through a book of the Bible, usually a chapter a week, you hmm. know, starting with maybe John and the Gospels, go through Romans, which is heavy duty uh-huh. theologically, but yep. people get it, you know, when it's presented <laughs> right. And then uh, we'd end up, you know, so we do that Bible study, uh, sermon, teaching, theological time for about a about an hour or so, and then we would have about a half hour prayer. And, it, you know, prayer was a new thing to most of these people. So right. it's pretty exciting to not only hear their hearts and hear and see a lot of them uh, de- develop their their prayer life really, but uh, to see God answer prayer in a very real yes. and powerful way. So that happened for about three and a half years. Then we uh, sensed that God was doing some changes. That was the end of '87. Again, prayed some more, fasted some, talked to some area pastors. It became pretty clear there was God's direction to start a local church hmm. and do a lot of what we were doing on Tuesdays, but just start doing it on Sundays and, again, still be highly relational and and be part of the larger church in the city. So we're like, hmm. yeah, cool. So we're actually coming up in March. Mid-March, we'll be 32 years old as Warehouse Church. Wow. So that's like, wow, how did that? Am I, really, crazy. Am I really that old? But now I, I look in the mirror and say, wow, who's that old guy? <laughs> 
who's that old guy in the middle? Well, that's me, I guess. But, but all by God's grace, I guess. So, uh, but uh, for about the first ten or twelve years of Warehouse Church, it was a typical solo pastor, lead pastor hmm. kind of model, where I was the guy doing all the preaching, teaching, weddings, funerals, and right. you know, we had a good leadership team, kind of deacon level stuff, people running the ministries, right. And had a really good uh, elder team. But then we started searching scripture some more and, <laughs> uh, you know, looked at our situation and it became aware. Uh, we became aware that, man, it would be good if we did a, a went to a total shared leadership situation. Hmm. So we've had as many as five right now. We're at three right now of uh, what we call our elder team. So really, literally, I'm an elder. We lo- Looking at scripture, we see that really the, the word that, you know, we use mostly as pastor, it probably should be elder because, hmm. uh, uh, you know, Peter says that elders oversee. Yeah. Uh, and they also shepherd. So yeah. um, that's a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's many nine, nine minute segments right there. But it's worked out awesome for us. So uh, like, say, there's myself, there's Dave and Gary. Dave is a, an IT network guru who also fronts a classic rock band. Of course. Dave's got an amazing, amazing. story. Uh, and then Gary runs a machine shop. He's a real, really skilled kind of blue collar dude. Yeah. So it's a real good mix. And so we take turns about a month at a time on the preaching, teaching, all of that stuff. So, and that frees me up to be a lot out in the community. Yeah. And it's been about 25, maybe a little more, 26, 27 years that, uh, again, of of 32 now that we've been doing Warehouse Church, that uh, God really grabbed my heart with the the truth that Jesus prayed in John 17. Mm -hmm. And I I really started to see the importance of that. And really, I believe that Jesus' prayer there and what he's praying for is really a prerequisite for spiritual awakening. That's right. We really we all want to see many people come to faith in Jesus and to have radical life transformation and and be headed to eternity with, with him. Absolutely, that's what we want. But you know, Jesus in John seventeen prayed that that those who believed on uh, in him through his disciples' witness, and that's that's all of us now that we would be one. And yeah. he described that unity as the same unity that Jesus has with the Father. Yeah. How mind-blowing is that? Not just knowing, yeah, there's a church across the street, right. or there's these guys over here, I kind of know about them or whatever. Uh, man, but it's relational unity, it's deep, it's not just in, in concept, but it's in yes. truth. And how do we do that? And what's the balance in that? And I'm a big believer that kind of the unit or the scale or the level of the local church that's most important is the church in the city. Because hmm. that's where we all live. You know, hmm. We take vacations here and there, but really we, we're spending most of our time in the city. So that's where most of our witness ends up, good or bad. Yeah. And mm. to our believers next or our, our neighbors who may or may not be believers that live next door to us. Right. But Jesus said once that unity starts to happen, he says, then the world will know that the Father has sent the Son, right. Father, that you've sent me. So there's some dynamic in there, and I don't believe that we all should sell our church buildings and meet in some stadium every week, but there mm. should be other opportunities, events to be able to partner together, to yeah. do more, you know, those things that we can do better together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever imagine being at the same church for 32 years, or were you like, this oh, is my man. home, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life? Ah, again, only the Lord knows any of <laughs> yeah. that. And, yeah. But, uh, no, I, I never wanted to be a pastor in the first place. That just wasn't cool, but... <laughs> Which blows my mind, because you're a phenomenal one, Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that, but, you know, we were never interested, even in uh, specifically planting a church 
church. We yeah. wanted the people to come to know Jesus, to make disciples, mm. essentially. And out of that came a church. Wow. And then I've been blessed, again, because I do have that free time to be involved in the community. I'm Aurora police chaplain, done that for about 27 years, just sadly commemorated a year since the Henry Pratt Company shootings in yeah, Aurora. That's right. Uh, right. So we have a lot of opportunity to minister to a lot of folks there. Uh, uh, myself and a couple other pastors pray with our mayor once a month. And wow. uh, just uh, you know, a couple of other opportunities throughout each month to to gather pastors and, and pray. We're also doing an event called March for Jesus, which mm. was a global thing in the 90s for a few years. And it seems that there's movement again for that. So we're kind of organizing that for Aurora. That's wow. remarkable. All right, so we, we got like a minute or so yeah. left. And I do just want to first say thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. I've, I've loved uh, just getting to know you and the mutual friends we have. And I think yeah. the city of Aurora is better because of your obedience and presence there. I'm wondering... How can we be praying for you, yeah. for your leadership, for your church, for your ministries? What's what's one or two ways that we can really kind of come alongside you guys? Oh, well, thanks. Uh, just, you know, praying for the Lord's direction overall, praying for us to to be able to raise up leaders as some folks, you know, move on and God calls certain people mm-hmm. uh, to another place or whatever. That's that's always an important thing. We, yeah. we want to see, uh, you know. The right people in the right place. But, yeah. you know, things are good. Yeah. yeah. And then real quickly, where can they go to learn more about the church and Motorcycles Sunday? Warehousechurch.org on the Internet or find us on Facebook. Same with Motorcycle Sunday, MotorcycleSunday.com or Motorcycle Sunday Aurora on Facebook. Man, oh, man. Thank you so much, Randy, for taking the time for being in the studio. This has been an absolute riot. <laughs> it's been wonderful. I feel like I could take over the world now. Man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We love you very much, man. You've been listening to Randy Shoof, pastor of Warehouse Church, and this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk culture wars, deconstruction, and the modern state of education. And you are listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the place on the World Wide Web, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. On Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can give us a little review there if you'd like. That does help us out a little bit. There's some very, I don't know if you've gone and seen them, Brian Fromm. Have you seen them? 
no. <laughs> that's, that's like it's not, not a trick question. <laughs> Your words of affirmation, guy. You should go check out the reviews on our Facebook page. Yes, I, I think, should. I think I that should. you'll appreciate. I've them. looked at the ones on our on our uh, podcast. Yeah, but I should look at the ones on our Facebook. Pretty dark page. though. You should listen to the, read the ones on Facebook They're to sort dark. of palate cleanse a little bit. Uh, you can also find our podcast. <laughs> where, oh, oh no! Me. Here we go. You got me. Here we go. Do I win a cash prize? There or something? you go. Where's the cash prize? Oh, sound you effect? probably win some good germs. <laughs> You made me cough within the small enclosed studio. Yeah, there it is. You should warn all of the guests next week that'll be on that microphone while I'm gone. That is true. Yes, Ian will be gone next week. We got all sorts of good people lined up, and they're going to get my germs. Who do you got? There we go. You're going to rebrand the show for a week? Come and get my germs. Come and get my germs. So still to be determined exactly who's coming in, but I've got some... uh, uh, <laughs> Welcome um, to the common disease. Common yeah. disease. That's a little too soon with the coronavirus yeah. stuff, John. A little, a uh, little on the nose. I would like. I like the idea of like uh, come and get my germs as like a German Shepherd pickup service or something. Like it's uh, no, it, we lost them. This, I'm going to do this whole segment by nope, myself. No, back. <laughs> Man, this is something. Uh, this is something. Well, this is the first time Brian's been sick in five years. By the yeah, way, yeah, but so this one's hanging on hard. Woo! It's been like two days. Three days. That's how long normal people get sick, Brian. Uh, this is, I don't know how you people put oh, up with this. <laughs> I, I felt Do you know bad what's bothering me, too, what? is that now, especially since you and I both now have two jobs, it's like, you know, when you're a kid and you get sick, you, you know, you stay home from school. Yeah. It's kind of... I don't feel like I have the ability to stay mm. home right now. That even yesterday I stayed home for part of the day, and all I could think about was like the stuff yeah. that was piling up and not doing. 100%. Totally not fun to be sick anymore. No, that's how vacations feel for me. Like, oh, gosh, oh no, that's not how so vacations many. feel for me at all. Yeah, we know it's the second most talked about topic. <laughs> yes, to last year, Brian Prom. Did I tell you about my vacation? Rather than Brian, <laughs> we talking about harvest, and we talking about <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> There's a connection there. Um, so I found this article at a ChristianityToday.com, and it's it's essentially about deconstruction. And I don't know how familiar you are with deconstruction. I feel like it's a real uh, hot word right yeah. now, particularly for people who are um, – it's it's more than just challenging your faith, but there's a certain – I mean, it's the right word. It's they're pulling apart some of the layers, some of the stuff that they were handed maybe as kids. Uh, for some people, it results in a, like a bit of a death spiral. Other yeah. people are, are like really carefully, more like surgery, picking it apart. Mm. Um, but th- this article is written th- from the perspective of someone who's married to someone else who's deconstructing their faith. The question is, how do I journey with them? Yeah. So it's a list of 10. The introduction is really good, but we don't have time to get that. So I'm going to walk through these 10 because my guess is if someone listening, if you're not deconstructing or have gone through that, you probably are close to someone who is or will. And uh, I just think these 10 are really helpful. So why don't they you are. kick us off with number one? Yeah. And without reading the introduction too, this author is writing from personal experience. Her right. husband right. came to her after 30 years and said, I'm leaving the faith. Right. And I just don't, it, a topic for a different day. I don't know how you even deal with that. Right. Like the death of that uh, feels unbelievable. Uh, so she said, over the last two years, I've learned these 10 lessons in particular. Number one, trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Early on in the process, my husband came to me and told me he wanted to share his anti-testimony. Though I didn't tell him, I felt appalled and disgusted. I brought those feelings to my much wiser spiritual director. She said to me, it is only the Spirit's work that opens up our heart to want to be known by others. His desire to be known is a gift. 
Her words have remained with me and borne fruit continually over these years. Oh, that's pretty good. That is. That's that is. Number two, get clear on what keeps you spiritually growing and then do it. When my husband parted ways with Christianity, I began to feel spiritual loneliness in the space of my very own home. In that context, I've had to consider what keeps me spiritually alive. For example, my connection with my spiritual director has become increasingly essential to me. I also continue to cultivate practices that form me spiritually, like spending time in silence, engaging scripture, praying, being in nature, reading spiritual formation books, and staying connected with my Christian faith community, which is, honestly, that's important for all of us. Absolutely. Number three, slow down your life. Two months after my husband declared his departure from faith, I found a new job as a chaplain, something I had always wanted to do. Hmm. It was a great job and a good fit, but I quit after three months. It became clear to me that I was trying to escape my pain. Leaving that job was a repentance of sorts, not because a woman shouldn't work or leave her child with a sitter, which I had to do, but rather because I was running from myself, from my husband, and from God. I had to stop the frenzy. I had to reckon with my body and my emotions, and I needed therapy to support the process. Since then, we've moved to a smaller home and slowed our pace of life considerably. Making room for this process, his process and my own, has cost both of us, but it has borne significant fruit. That's pretty good. Number four, practice hospitality. Christ's command to love your neighbor never hits home closer than when that person is the one you share a bed with. Mm. In split worldview marriages, we need hospitality for ourselves and also for the deconstructing neighbor right next to us. When we allow ourselves to come as we are, that deep, honest well within brings forth genuine prayers and a closer connection to God. It also enables us to follow Jesus when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's really good. Number five, stay out of resistance mode. Yeah, that's easier said than done. When someone leaves the faith, it's easy to get into the habit of making apologetic arguments ad nauseum. Our mistaken belief that faith is primarily cerebral can lead us to center the conversation around theology, ontology, and philosophy in hopes of winning them back. Hmm. These conversations are often, but not always, conversations of debate and resistance. (laughs) Some of them are necessary, yes, but when they become the primary tool in our belt, we suffocate the wooing power of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. As we stay out of resistance mode, we remain curious about their experience and grounded when our differences feel insurmountable. Number six, remember their truest identity and yours. Genesis 127 says, God created mankind in his own image. The person you married is made in that image, irrespective of whether they embrace it. That means their truest identity is located not in their worldview, whether atheist, agnostic, or other, but in the hand of providence. The Apostle John develops this likeness by reminding us that God is love, First John 4, 7. And Paul mm-hmm. notes, that all things have been created by him and for him. Colossians one sixteen. your spouse was made by love and for love, and there's nothing you or they can do to change that. Mm, number seven, create space for them and for you to process. Over the last few years, there have been weeks when my husband and I talked almost daily about faith, followed by months where we let it rest between us. At one point, I had to place a conversational moratorium on philosophical and theological debate. I simply couldn't carry the discussion while holding in my own heartache. During those times, I've told him that I need a break from intense conversation, but will gladly offer personal stories of my own faith journey if he asked. Yeah, number eight, develop a deeper friendship. In any marriage, it's helpful to cultivate shared interests, but these bonds are increasingly important when two married people have diverging worldviews. That's interesting. Whether riding bikes, enjoying nature, or listening to live music together, my husband and I now take more time than we did before to develop our friendship. Enjoying the pleasure of his company is a fulfilling way to live into the glory and beauty Mm. of God, and it also eases the sting of knowing that we no longer share faith between us. Mm. Uh, Number nine, keep praying for and discipling your kids. 
Discipling kids is no small task with two spiritually aligned parents, and it's even more Mm. difficult with two misaligned ones. One of my deepest desires is that my children will experience the love of Christ in their lives. Raising them with someone who is not even sure that that is a thing creates a very unique challenge. Though my elementary age children are not yet developmentally ready for heavy philosophical debates, uh, they're old enough to ask questions about theology and human origins. For the time being, I'm able to give space to their questions and discuss what scripture offers. And then last but not least, number 10, lean into the body of Christ. As I lean into my believing friendships and learn from my spiritual director and others, I gain the courage and wisdom that I need to cultivate a more loving family rather than a divided one. I've made a concerted effort to have my kids around other believers of all ages through family, friends, and church connections. The body of Christ has also given me a steady diet of sermons, rich readings, and community experiences that keep me fed on multiple levels. Though this journey, uh, through this journey, God has called me to practice the heart hardest part of Christian discipleship, letting go of the life I dreamed of and instead allowing the resurrection Mm. power of Jesus to rebuild new life in me time and time again. For me, this could never be done outside the body of Christ. I I really appreciate the honesty here. What I would love to do is is to read an article written by her husband. Absolutely. Just to get some perspective on what that's been like for him. Like, I think that would be really, really fascinating. Absolutely. What a hard story, too. Like, she writes so beautifully and all of these make such sense. But especially when you read that introduction, you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how I would deal with That's that. Right. And so no kidding. we'd encourage you to give it a read. It's really powerful. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, this is a little bit of a segue actually out of relevant. What to pray when you don't feel like praying. Some of mm. you may be surprised to learn that sometimes even pastors don't feel Which like ones? praying. Yeah, other, <laughs> other ones out there. Not we'll us. find them. We'll find them for you and have them up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm in the house. All right, let's take, that was exciting. Let's take bets on how long into this segment before you have a coughing fit. Uh, I think I can make it to at least the five-minute mark. <laughs> I do. So that is sort of a challenge then because you've I'm already admitted. I'm going to hold my breath between now and five minutes. I so. think that'll make it worse. Yeah, I, I right. really do. And you're saying if I can get you laughing... That might be it. Although we're going to talk about what to pray when you don't feel like praying. Good, kind of a so, kind of a melancholy kind of a article. Okay, yeah, but then don't you feel like when you're not supposed to be praying or praying when you're not supposed to be laughing tends to be the time that you want to laugh the most. Yeah, like when you were a kid and it's like Shh, we're having prayer, and that's when you all of a sudden got the giggles. <laughs> Stop laughing at Grandma's funeral. <laughs> oh God, Brian. Oh, coughing. No, I'm good. <laughs> Are you doing interweb insanity today with that kind of darkness? Oh, I'm ready. Jeez, I'm ready. All right, so before we get to that article, uh, I want to tell you about Thriving Financial, a recruitment opportunity. Thriving Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over 100 years, which is bonkers. Last I checked, they were like up there with... Like Harley Davidson and Campbell Soup or something. Like huge. Just incredible. Uh, if you've ever wanted to be your own boss, which who hasn't, using your entrepreneurial skills to come alongside Christians in their wise with money journey, you can make the first step in changing your career and the lives of those you serve at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers or... Did you know this? Your cell phone actually makes phone calls. 630. Is that what that app is? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the least used app on my phone, by the way, is the phone app. 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. And just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. Uh, all right. So here's – there's not really a specific reason I want to do this article, but I just feel like – it's come up in my personal life a lot the last couple of weeks, and the headline is great. What to pray when you don't feel like praying. And not to put you on the spot, but Pastor, 
friend, Brian yes. Fromm. No one's listening. Go ahead. Okay, great. <laughs> do, you, do you ever feel this, like, in the course of your adult life? Have you ever felt like, I don't feel like praying? Regularly. Yeah. Yes, regularly. Do you, do you think that blows people's minds? As a pastor, like, wait a minute. What? I hope not. You but don't maybe. always want to pray all the time? Yeah, because I think we don't want to pray out of busyness. We don't want to pray because hmm. God feels distant from us at times and life is hard. We don't want to pray because... I mean, can we even say this? We doubt whether it actually makes a difference. I think there's all sorts yeah. of reasons we yeah. don't want to pray. We're, we're, you know, battling depression or whatever else. I think there's, I think if we're all honest with ourselves out there, uh, that probably more times than not, we, we kind of go through seasons of being like, ah, it, just seasons of prayerlessness. And uh, even if you feel like you want to pray, but end up not praying, I, I think this is common. How about you? Yeah, I think sometimes we don't pray because we're afraid of what we're going to hear when we actually go to God in prayer. Oh, I think so. sometimes there's stuff that we're maybe even running from. So we fill our lives with more noise and more activity and more things. Agreed. And prayer sometimes is like, oh, no. And I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're just a, it's a fast culture and prayer sometimes which I really think is one of the ways we should talk about prayer more. It's kind of a declaration of war against a constant hustle, constant yeah. going, constant striving culture, and that can be really difficult. So Absolutely. The, the setup is great. I'm not going to totally get into it. I want to get to the list. It's uh, six ways to pray when you don't feel like praying uh, that I think – these can be really helpful resources for anyone out there who's ever felt this way before. Yes. Like, I just don't feel like I want to. I think these are really helpful. So why don't you kick us off with number one? Yep. Number one, when you're overwhelmed, whisper his name. Remember receiving a first love note? It didn't have to be long, yet your heart felt known seeing your handwritten name. It kept your com you company in the daily grind. Whisper his name and listen for his echoes return in the quiet. Hmm. God names the stars and he whispers your name. Psalm 147, 3 through 5. He heals the brokenhearted. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. That's good. Number two, when you don't have words to pray, rest knowing Jesus is praying for you. Your silence will not drive Jesus away. Nothing can separate you from his love, not even your unrest. He'll never get tired of you. Sometimes the greatest prayer we can experience is God's complete understanding and compassion, his presence. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, is also interceding for us. I think that's great. Yep. Number three. When you are too stressed to pray, take care of you. We are a generation who doesn't know how to express our souls to God, even though we drive ourselves exhausted doing for yeah. Jesus. Chronic overloading is not a spiritual prerequisite for authentic Christianity. Quite mm. the contrary. Overloading is often what we do when we forget who God is. That's mm. a quote from Richard Swenson. Extend yourself the kindness and comfort you generously give others. Ironically, the times we most need God's comfort are the times we deprive ourselves of soul nurturing time. We feel selfish. Yet God says we can only comfort others with the comfort we first receive ourselves hmm. in Second Corinthians 1 4. Instead of layering on guilt, let God love you through your choices to prioritize taking care of you. That's good. Number four, when you feel numb, invite Jesus into your world. And journal. Instead of struggling to reach Jesus, invite Jesus to enter your world. Research in, uh, in an article by the New York Times shows the power of writing your personal story can lead to behavioral changes and improve happiness. Even 15 minutes of expressive writing actually makes a difference. When we journal our stories with God, we give him space to rewrite our stories with us. And he quotes uh, Hebrews 4, for the word of God is living and active. It penetrates dividing soul and spirit. The word is the Greek word logos translated as living voice. God is not limited to the written word. God uses everything living to speak into our lives, and this includes journaling. Mm, that's good. Number five, have an honest conversation. Take a walk. Find God's love notes. 
Max Lucado uh, in the Breathcast interview said prayer must be an honest conversation with God and not a repetitive act. He said, I don't pray for long periods of time. My prayers are relatively brief. The times I feel real blessed through prayer is when my prayers are sincere, when I kind of think through what I'm going through or I'm going through a hard time and I use that prayer to talk to God about everything. Take a walk outside and let God touch you. Research shows that just 10 minutes can refresh and help with anxiety, depression uh, in school, work, and everyday life. I will say to that one at the top there, I think prayer can be a repetitive act. I think so, too. Yeah, I don't think I would agree with that one. Yeah, I thought that was actually going to say, but we don't agree with him. <laughs> Sorry. Either way, number six. I would say it doesn't have to be a repetitive right, act, exactly. but to say it can't exactly. be right. a repetitive or act. Or is not, sure. right. Yeah. Number six, when you're too exhausted to pray, stop and rest. First Kings 19.7, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Elijah had done everything he knew to do, even defeating the prophets of Baal, yet his problems did not go away and actually got worse. Stress broke Elijah's spirit. In despair, Elijah woke up to find fresh bread baking on hot stones and water just uh, left just for him. Not only that, God sent an angel to touch him. Twice, God knew Elijah needed physical rejuvenation first in order to hear his gentle voice whispering in a gentle breeze. So when you find that it's hard to pray, don't be afraid. You're standing at the very cusp of who God longs to connect with, the real you. Take the time to rest. What do you think of that? I think those are great, man. Yeah. I think... It takes the pressure off of prayer, pressure. right? Pressure. That's good. That's it a good takes to talk this about whole it. like, oh, not only do I not feel like praying, but now God is angry at me because I'm not praying. And therefore, now I feel worse about myself. And it just spirals. So, and, and then we stop praying even more because we feel some kind of guilt or shame. Now I'm not worthy of prayer. God's mad at me. And I'd, and it does. It spirals. And I think a lot of this is a reminder uh, of kind of some stories in Scripture and the way God uh, responds and uh, the importance of taking care of ourselves and yep. being honest about what's going on. I think this is great. I like what uh, what this author says. This is Bonnie Gray at the beginning of this article, which I can resonate with a lot of this. Uh, I find it easier to take care of others and get things done for God rather than be vulnerable with my needs. Mm. But God is showing me that prayer is an intimate soul conversation to be loved and known rather than a spiritual transaction to be made better. Praying touches the part of me that is in process, uncertain, full of questions and doubts. That is why praying is hard to do. And when I don't know how how to pray, it makes me feel ashamed, exactly what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But in Matthew 11, Jesus understands this. He says, come to me, weary and heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, come to me, strong, cheerful, without worries. Jesus said the opposite. We're invited to come to him weary, whether confused, numb, anxious, angry, or stressed. Jesus tells us to simply come imperfectly his as we are. Which again, I feel like this whole come as you are thing has become almost like a tagline in yes. 90% of evangelical churches. And yet I think a lot of us still struggle to either A, believe it's actually true or B, like act as if it's true. Yeah. Which I'm curious, like in your church, how would you coach someone through someone that's like feeling kind of like this? Yeah, I would encourage them just to take baby steps to, um, you know, I, 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 under, I would say, hey, uh, it's kind of like the way you said people would be surprised to hear pastors say, I struggle to pray sometimes. I yeah. think hearing them go, hey, I feel that way too sometimes. Uh, go for a walk. And as you're going for that walk, just kind of try to pray. You know, little baby steps uh, is what I would encourage. Because I think a lot of times we think, 
you know, if I'm not perfect at praying, then I'm just not even going to try anymore. And that's just hmm. not going to work. That's a good word, Pastor. Thank you. Well said, even in your sickly condition. And you made it through the entire I did not segment, cough by the way. Once. I'm really proud of you. You Thank win you. a cash prize. Or I don't. John will pay you afterwards. He won't. Uh, coming up next, what the story of Jesus' temptation says about the current Christian culture wars. We're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. to the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm sharing a booth with the very sickly Brian Fromm. That is a true statement. Which means I also will inevitably very soon be sick. Like, watch, you won't even be here next week. I'm betting now. Wow. I would bet large amounts of money that you're not here next week. I don't really know that on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, you should be encouraging betting large amounts of money. All right. I'll I'll bet you a large amount of heavenly jewels that you'll miss some time next week. I also don't think it works like that. (laughs) Oh, get a cough. I'm good. I'm good. I got it. I reined it in. I do just like the picture, though, of like uh, like this heavenly poker table. And rather than chips, it's just a random assortment of jewels. St. Peter's like, I'm all in. I'm all oh, in. Peter, again. And then someone's like, Peter, you did that yesterday. And he denies it three times or something. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I can do this all day. I don't. He denies it three Not times. <laughs> he wins the pot and they say, get behind me, Satan. Come on. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and then Balaam shows up and he, nah, I won't go there. We won't do that one. Oh, um, that's funny. Uh, what do I want to say? Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. You can also rate and review the Facebook page. That also helps us out. Plus, I know that we say it all the time, uh, all of our articles get posted there. That's right. And it's a really, really great place to engage in some dialogue about some of the stuff. Some of the stuff that we talk about is a little controversial or you might disagree with. That's a great place to uh, interact there. You can also send us messages directly. Plus, you can find us on 1160hope.com slash the common good on Twitter at common good talk and wherever it is you get fine podcasts. We're there, too. They let us hang out with the fine podcasts. Um, <laughs> they, if you're looking for the good podcast, look for ours while you're yeah, there. Yeah, Just go ahead and advance to page three. Of, <laughs> <laughs> we are not going to be the first hit, which is fine. But you We're can okay help with us with that. Ooh. Nice. All right. So here's the headline. What the story of Jesus's temptation says about the Christian culture wars begins by saying, uh, I'm not much involved in the culture war because I think it's a misuse of time and energy, especially on the part of Christians and churches to be vying for political power. Again, just in that sentence, I feel like we've said things like that. Yep. A million times in the last 14 months. That's right. Um, Let's see. He goes, hear me out on this matter, please. It's not that I think certain issues aren't important when it comes to our culture. And it's not that I think we shouldn't stand for what is right, especially when it comes to our solidarity with the most vulnerable members of society. The church has a prophetic calling to speak truth to power in every sphere of life. It's the way we go about it that matters. I'm just going to kind of stop there. Yeah. Uh, what do you th- what do you think of that charge, even before we kind of get into the meat of the article? I think you and I, like you said, we've said this often, that the vying for political power is not how Christ showed us to live. It is the standing up for those who are hurting. It's this prophetic calling. It is uh, to be uh, members of society, right? Jesus t- called us to be in the world, but not of the world, uh, taking the good message of, of the gospel into the world. And so I, I'm all for what this guy, uh, how he's starting his stuff here. I think it is so true. And I think this is going to be such an important concept as we move into this election season. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Let me let me just read a little bit more from it. Uh, he says, you're probably familiar with the story of Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's in Luke 4. The good book says that after he fasted and prayed for 40 days, Satan came to offer him some help. I love that it also says that he was hungry. Yes. I always that, that part always like, yeah, also, 
He's fasted, so he's hungry. Uh, Use your power to feed yourself, he suggested. I'm paraphrasing here. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Just show me a little... What's that word? Obeisance. I'm glad that you also don't know what it is. And all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. Easy peasy. Of course, Jesus refused his offer on every count and subsequently returned to, uh, to town in the power of the spirit. I think we tend to overlook the significance of this exchange, especially that last bit. Jesus returned with power, but it wasn't the kind of power the devil offered him. It wasn't worldly power that Christ sought, but spiritual power, the difference between power over and power with. Ooh, that's good. Essentially, this story symbolizes the human temptation to take power over our fellow creatures in in effect bypassing the suffering of the cross to gain what might otherwise seem to be legitimate ends jesus denied himself this temptation and chose a better way christians are called to imitate christ in this way but the culture war demonstrates our overwhelming failure to do so forgive me if i'm wrong here and i'm well aware of how much my privilege may be playing into my viewpoint but i think both the evangelical right and the progressive left in america have fallen for the devil's temptations in a well-intended but misguided effort to advance their righteous causes they have left the way of christ to jockey for political power instead Mm. i'll pause again what do you think so far i i I, i'm giving an amen i think it's well put (laughs) and i like that he calls it well intended because i don't think that a lot of Mm. us as christ followers are like i just want power i just want like i think especially when we dive and, and we become primarily about politics and political parties i do think most people i know they believe that that's the way to bring about change and they believe that's the way to uh, bring about policies that are Christ on or, or whatever else it might be. And politics are important. Um, but but I think that that a taste of power uh, can become intoxicating. And, and I think that's what this author, Joshua Lawson, is is really talking about, is that I think we are getting intoxicated by power hmm. and, and that that's where we put our hope. And he's saying that's just that, that that's dangerous and that the model of Jesus at the temptation looks very different. Well, let me let me just read the rest of it. Yep. And hopefully I don't get tripped up over any other big fancy pants. The words. word there <laughs> is I just looked it up, by the way. Obeisance. Obeisance. Yeah, not a million years. Meaning that right. a gesture expressing deferential respect. Ooh. There you go. That's the Google machine I helping will, me out I there. I will not be using that in the future. Nope. All right. Without going too deeply into it, I should also point out that political power is always power over. It is the power of the state, which is mandate or maintained by either the threat or force of violence. Granted, the violence of the American state, at least upon its own citizens, may seem benign compared to other authoritarian countries, but it is no less real. If you don't believe me, just stop paying your taxes for a while. You'll find out how free you really are. It is precisely at this point the way that we understand and relate to the state, where I believe modern evangelical and progressive Christians alike stand to learn from the early churches. Until the time of Constantine, there seems to have been a uh, have been a fairly unanimous, if not universal, view among Christians that taking the way of Christ meant refusing participation in the, quote, ways of the world, which amounted to not being a direct participant in the affairs of the state. In the words of Ebert Arnold, did I say that right? Eberhard, yeah. Eberhard, yeah. yeah. Eberhard Arnold. The early Christians abhorred and attacked any mixture of the religious and patriotic. They detested any state religion that forced back God's rule. They loathed all religiosity influenced by the politics of the movement and fought against any veneration of the existing power structure. This included any political system with a religious emphasis. These were to be regarded as the inheritance of Babylon, the works of sin and demonism. They were nothing short of the devil's state and the service 
service of Satan. Theoretically, this conviction would have held true whether or not the state was considered Christian, as it is often in the modern-day America. In fact, most early disciples would have scoffed at the notion of a Christian nation because, again, every nation is founded on either the threat or force of violence. And this type of power, which is power over, is essentially Antichrist. It is the way of the world. I realize that I'm hinting at some pretty big implications here, but I don't see how the Christian faith proposes anything less. At the very least, it suggests that no matter which side wins the Christian culture war, we've already lost the battle for a new world just by participating in it. Mm. I'm going to give you a second to respond to that because, again, given your, it depends on your theological denominational alignment, whether or not you agree even with that last sentence. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that this guy is uh, he's saying some really good stuff that is hard to hear uh, because, excuse me, he is uh, highlighting a lot of what we have talked about, about how the early church until Constantine uh, was outside of, you know, you know, they 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 ne- it was never an option for their faith to be tied into their, um, you know, to their patriotism or whatever. And uh, again, I've got no problem with patriotism. I love the 4th of July, right? Like, I love the good parade. I love living in America. I love everything about it. Well, not everything, but I love it. The vast majority. I would never want to live anywhere else. So this isn't an anti-American thing at all. This is a question of what is the church's role? What is the Christ follower's role uh, as it pertains to uh, politics and the state? And I think this guy, Joshua Lawton, does a really good job at, at unpacking uh, where the where the focus of the Christ follower needs to be? Yeah, but you, I mean, you know that liking the Fourth of July is not the same as patriotism. Like those are I those know, are two it's different a silly things. Example, but it's an example nonetheless. But I think it's an important. Well, but what he's talking about though is different than just like liking the holidays of your nation, though. Like, I understand that, but he even says you know something about patriotism. I I don't think, and I think he'd agree, patriotism in and of itself is not a bad thing. You th- you think he would say that? Okay, I would say that patriotism in and of itself is not a bad thing. How would you define patriotism? Uh, in the last 25 seconds we have here. <laughs> Did you have a longer definition Love of mine? country? Maybe. How would you define patriotism? That was off the top of my head, people, so please yeah, don't I, pick it apart. I think, it's, I think it's different than love. I think it's allegiance. Mm, well, now we've unpacked something. That was, right. We might need to roll this one back another time. <laughs> Maybe it's love and allegiance and to a lesser degree. I think you could certainly love your country and have that love still be lesser than your love for Christ. I don't necessarily know that to be a Christian means yep. like don't engage in any of these things ever. Sure. Uh, but I think you raises but some primary allegiance. I think that's a good way to put it. OK, so, pr- yeah. I mean, we're all out of time so now. I guess so. how to define <laughs> patriotism is a very important part of this. Well, okay. so I'm going to wrestle with that a little bit. This article is on our Facebook page. We would love for you to maybe even answer that question. How would you define patriotism? Does this author get some things right, or is he way off his rocker? Or yeah. Somewhere in between. Well, speaking of off the rocker, <laughs> we're going to land this plane the way that we do every day, and that is with some interweb insanity. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to 
to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Brian Fromm kicking off the segment with a little falsetto love. I played bass in falsetto love. I haven't used that joke in... Well, it hasn't been long enough. Anyway, that music means uh, a couple things. Just kidding. It means one thing. It's the end of the show, and uh, our producers have found some stories that we have not read, some sound effects we have not seen. Uh, we don't know how much time we have for the segment. It's all kind of a... It's just a guess. Yes. So we're just going to keep telling random crazy stories for as long as they'll let us, and uh, if we hear the Academy music chime in, we'll know that it's time to wrap up. So, Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? I'm ready for it. Utah. Man set house ablaze so he could take photos of fire. No. A Syracuse man who allegedly told police he was setting fires inside a vacant house so he could take pictures has been charged with arson. Thomas Fox Shea was charged Tuesday with aggravated arson, a first-degree felony. On Friday, firefighters were dispatched to a report of a house fire. Shea received burns to his face and hands in the fire and was treated at a local hospital. After he was released, he said... That he intentionally started the fire so he could photograph it. Oh, there'll be a hot argument yeah. in the old town tonight. I can always tell when you're like wrapping up the article because it's the the cadence is a. Am I wrong? I mean, no. we both do it. We Not both wrong have a version all. of that. Do you end? Do you have like dramatic? Endings of your sentences when you're preaching? I don't, although I have yes, learned. Yes, you do. No, here's what I have learned. Maybe I do, but here's what I have learned is that uh, every every week when I finish, it's always, da, 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 da. let me pray for us. <laughs> That's it. So let me pray for us is better. I just, sometimes I'll just like yell the word pray and then I'll bow my head and, and it's pretty jarring. Uh, all right, out of Florida, man arrested for fourth DUI tells cops just how high he is. Oh my gosh. Uh, a seminal man who was arrested on his fourth drunken driving charge refused to take a breath test, but told an arresting deputy that he was high on marijuana. Arrested reports say Jonathan W. Connors, 32, told that he's, he's had four DUIs. He's 32. Told the deputy he was. Well, I can't read that on the air. No. Nope. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He was really high. Yeah. Reports say deputies pulled him over because his tag light was too dim to be able to see the license plate. Uh, Sheriff's deputies also noted that Connors smelled of alcohol, had unsteady balance, had bloodshot and watery eyes, and was eating a bag of Funyuns. <laughs> what are you people? On dope? <laughs> that one got you. The Funyuns, huh? It was funny. Is it because you knew I added it? Is I, that it's exactly why I'm laughing. <laughs> Brought to you by Funyuns. Uh, back to Florida. Loyal pup stays by missing Florida toddler's side after he wandered away from home. Aww. See, this is nice. But the pup was high. <laughs> the, the pup with a bag of Funyuns in his mouth. A little boy who wandered away oh, from his no. North Florida home. Thankfully had the family's loyal pup stuck, uh, stuck by, stick by his side. Uh, they say they received a frantic 911 call from a mother whose three-year-old son wandered away while playing outside with his siblings. The mother told the dispatcher that their family dog, named Buddy, 
was oh. also missing. She believed oh. the pup was possibly with the toddler. Buddy. Deputies and canine units responded to the home and began searching. A short while later, deputies said a neighbor called 911 to say she found a small child and a dog in the woods. Oh, my god! But the dog wouldn't let him get near the child. Fortunately, we were able to reunite the child with his mother, thanks in part to man's best friend and an alert neighbor. Who saw Old Yeller? Who cried uh-huh. when Old Yeller got shot at I the end? Guess. Oh. Nobody cried when Old Yeller got shot, I'm sure. But he didn't get shot. Yeah. I cried my eyes out. Yeah. But how do we know? How can we be sure that Buddy didn't lead the kid away? <laughs> huh? Man, you are dark when you're sleeping. We don't know. All that, all that cough syrup has gone to your brain. Buddy could have been like, hey, kid, let's go. Let's make a run for it. Who is the... What reality <laughs> do you live in? Psst, hey. Hey, kid, let's go. Deluxe. Oh, what is that? What was that? <laughs> kid, let's go to the woods. We are off the rails, and it's we not even are. the end of the week. All right, Canada, human brain seized in mail truck on U.S.-Canada border. Of course. I have a story about this, by the way, if we have time. It's true. We always US, have time. U.S. Customs, office, uh, customs officers made an unusual discovery when they carried out a spot check on a Canadian mail truck human brain inside a jar. The brain was found at the Blue Water Bridge crossing between Michigan and the Canadian province of Ontario. It was inside a shipment labeled Antique Teaching Specimen. It's a twister! It's a twister! What's the twister part? Did I skip something? I don't think so. Uh, Is twister another word for brain that I'm not aware of? It was definitely the the wrong one. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we we're trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, John. We didn't know. I'm not going to give myself credit for anything. That's I appreciate it. Right what was your other story? What was your quickly? What? No, no, no. no. What no, was your other story about that? One. It's I found a brain in a box one time. Stop it. Well, my dad did. He was working for FedEx, and they dropped it off the plane, and it cracked open, and it was a brain. God. No, it wasn't a brain. It was a human head. My bad. No yeah. way. Yeah, I was getting sent to some medical lab. Yep. Crazy. Nevada. <laughs> Southwest Airlines helped reunite girl with lost Winnie the Pooh bear after a big adventure. Uh-huh. Southwest Airlines came to the rescue for a girl who left her beloved teddy bear on a recent flight from Kansas City to Las Vegas. On Sunday, Rebecca Kurtz put a call out on Twitter to help in finding her 12-year-old daughter's Winnie the Pooh. Okay, Internet and Southwest Airlines, I need your help. My girl left her Pooh Bear on flight uh, 2741 from Kansas City to Vegas. He was her very first Christmas present 12 years ago. Help us bring him home. Two days later, Southwest responded with images of the beloved bear hanging out at the airport with a fellow bear pilot and bear airport worker. This the guy you're looking for? Kurtz thanked the airline and one of its employees for helping to find the stuffed animal. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. Mm. You're crying. But how do you know the dog didn't lead the bear away? <laughs> huh? So dark. You think? <laughs> how do we know Winnie the Pooh wasn't looking for that brain again? Uh, wow. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. How are we going to even survive tomorrow? Michael, which, by the way. Your birthday. It is my birthday, but we're also going to start the show. It is the two-year anniversary of Billy Graham passing as well. So that's how we're going to kick off the show tomorrow here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.